This week on Next in Marketing, I spoke to JP Evangelista, Senior Vice President of Content Programming and Marketing at Vivo. We talked about how the music video-centric platform is becoming less dependent on YouTube to drive viewership, thanks to a string of distribution deals with companies like Samsung, Roku, and Pluto. Meanwhile, Vivo is pushing out more programming, including helping artists produce more videos in Vivo's own studios. Let's get started. Everything we know about the media, marketing, and advertising business is being completely upended thanks to technology and data. We're talking with some of the top industry leaders as they steer their companies through constant change. Welcome to Next in Marketing, presented by AppsFlyer. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Next in Marketing. My guest this week is JP Evangelista. He's the SVP of Content Programming and Marketing at Vivo. Hey, JP. How are you? Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Uh, let's give everybody, you've been at Vivo a long time. Um, I think most people in the industry probably understand this. I, I think it's often referred to as the, as the Hulu of music or that's originally how it was thought of, but it's a, it's a joint venture. Can you, can you explain the, the ownership and how it works briefly? So Vivo is the world's leading music video network. We were founded by UMG and Sony back in 09, born at a time when digital video was on the rise. So YouTube really is a critical partner for us. Past couple of years, we've been rapidly growing our connected TV presence to meet all the viewership trends we've seen. Right. Our mission, we maximize the commercial and promotional value of music videos. So we have a very large catalog of premium music videos from official releases to live performances, lots of original content that we produce, working with superstar artists like Ariana Grande and The Weeknd to artists that you've really never heard of that are just starting off their careers and we want to help develop them. At the end of the day, really our goal is to deliver the best music video experience we can to fans when, where, and how they want them. And is that, is there an equivalent to the, to the lay person who knows music a little bit? Like, is that, um, are we missing any huge record companies that are not part of Vivo? Like, is that like, is that, a, is that similar to the way Hulu started where it was the big guys were mostly involved or what does that look like in the music universe? Yeah. So we have, we have universal music, we have Sony music. So that's a huge chunk right there. We also have probably in excess of uh, 50 indies, including independent aggregators, from you know Merlin to Beggars to uh, smaller aggregators like Vidia and Empire Distribution, um, Warner Music Group, uh, we've had some rights for uh, during different periods of time, not on YouTube, but as part of our other footprints vis-a-vis -vis connected television and some of Vivo's proprietary apps. Right. But Warner would probably in the YouTube environment be the larger one that's that's not present with us. Right. Uh, okay, so you, you, I mentioned you've been there a long time, especially in, in digital lifespan. How many how many times do you think we've declared Vivo dead or in trouble, or this business was going to change radically? Like I'm, I'm sure you heard lots of that over the years. I think you know, going back to '09, and I was on the team you know, like pre '09 and '08 at the at Universal that kind of transitioned to founding the company. Um, you you think going into a joint venture, especially with you know. To you know, avid competitors. Not gonna work. It's gonna be too hard. Conflict. Yeah, it's, it's not gonna you know, be it, it, it can be scary at first, but I think the the type of headlines that you're referring to really like the first five six years of the company. Yeah. Um, that sort of probably died down circa 16, 17. I haven't really seen much press around eighteen since like eighteen forward. We'll call it with like the current iteration of the leadership team here, the current iteration of the strategy, the levels at which we monetize, like all that sort of great stuff that we've been doing over the course of the last three years. I haven't seen those headlines anymore, really. I think part of that is from my memory, right? It's it is a while ago, but for a, mo a moment there, you were lumped in with, with the MCNs when 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 people were having this cri you know existential crisis. So you, you, is any business on YouTube going to work? You guys were big on YouTube and. 
there was always a cut they take and you had to pay everybody else. Um, that, and the MCM, the MCN landscape, I'm talking about companies like Machinima and full screen, that kind of, um, hasn't, hasn't gone away, but it's, it's largely not, a, not the presence it was, but I think, I think you, your business has evolved beyond like, you know, being a, a YouTube ad network, let's say, right. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a long time ago. Yeah. I mean, if you add in the fact that we have a fairly large, robust connected television, you know, footprint that exists and commands exists outside of YouTube and commands very premium CPMs, um, you can't discount the activity on YouTube itself, but the content that we're sort of bringing into the fold and the way that we monetize it, I think differentiates us from other MCMs, MCNs. It's right. extremely high premium content and it continues to command a ridiculously large audience in excess of 300 billion views a year. And having a team and having sort of the staff under the leadership of Kevin McGurn that we have and it, knowing exactly how to monetize that and command amazing advertiser rates around the company sort of lives up to the original mission, but it brings us even further than where we were before. Right. Um, okay. T tell us what it looks like in terms of, if, as much as you can, just distribution between, and I'd love to hear like what, how this has evolved over time. I think, like, I, like I said, it was, this was the, originally I think Vivo was like the place you found music videos via YouTube. At one point, there was talk. Maybe you'll be on Facebook. Then the, the CTV thing really blew up. You're also, I think, uh, have a lot of a lot of uh, access to probably uh, probably Roku's and gaming consoles. Like, what does it look like in terms of where people find you these days? Yeah, you've you've nailed YouTube, YouTube being the obvious one. But in addition, current partners include Samsung, Samsung TV, TV Plus, where we see a lot of volume. Same thing with Pluto TV, Amazon Fire, Amazon Echo Show, Apple TV, Roku, Comcast on both Xfinity One, Xfinity Flex. Uh, Vizio, Sky via Now TV and Sky Q when you're talking abroad, XUS, Foxum, Excite, NetRange, Redbox, T-Mobile Play, Virgin Media, Zumu, Telstra, and Viewed. So quite a few, quite a few outlets and really high emphasis um, for how we differentiate our sales sort of screen to screen and what we can command in a CTV environment, including those impressions that we deliver uh, in YouTube on connected television as well. How much is so that, that I'm, I'm assuming that a great part of CTV besides it's, it's a, you know, high quality audience, people are watching on the big screen and all that. It's probably great for your brand, right? Because you've got, a, you, it's, a, it's an app world for you that you're not in someone else's uh, environment or app. I guess how much of the, how much of that is, a, is something you focus on and, and how much do you, are you, are people seeking you out and adding you to their app lineups on through their Samsung or whatever versus are you making are your distribution deals, you know, tremendous, huge for that stuff? The, the CTV environment, as you sort of, you know, from a brand perspective, gives us the ability to curate our own environment, right? So we're, we're creating a lot of the user experience, or at least how, how we're showing what videos are displayed. We have certain arrangements where it's a VOD-based app. We have others where it's linear. So Samsung TV Plus, we have several channels, Vivo Pop to name one, and it's literally just by hour or multi-hour blocks, exactly how we're curating the experience that you're getting, the videos that you're seeing at that given time, and beginning to work in um, with the addition of our VOD apps as well, more and more sort of dynamic logic for creating more personalized experience for users, whereas when you're obviously in a very um, cluttered YouTube environment, we do everything we can to optimize and sort of stick out with our playlist brands, with our original content, how we try to influence the suggested video algorithm, all those sort of things to ensure that our content surfaces amongst other verticals. But it's it's our show within these other apps that we're kind of controlling the environment, so to speak. Tell me if you can what, what's going. I remember when I, I first started writing about Vivo, I, I, there were obviously all the questions about uh, you know is the joint venture going to work? How's how how's this going to what kind of viewership we're going to see? Obviously, the viewership thing was obvious right away. But I remember I would talk to colleagues, people in the industry that were you know my age or old ends. Oh no, does anyone 
you know, no one plays music videos anymore. Isn't that an MTV thing from 30 years ago? And I would say, you know, these, some of these Miley Cyrus videos and Lady Gaga videos are enormous and they're like productions and it's a whole new renaissance. Um, what's going on today? Like what, what I, I don't, I, because obviously, you know, things evolve so much with, with streaming and Spotify and the way music listen, listenership uh, shifts. Give us like the state of music videos today. What's going on? What should, what should people understand? What should we look for? Yeah, a few things. I mean, stuff has certainly evolved over time. Music video is probably more popular now than it's ever been. It's just consumed in a different way than it previously was, you know, dating back to the 80s and MTV. If you look at just our share of, of what we're doing for, across our platforms and across YouTube and doing in excess of over 300 billion views a year, you know, you, you start to put that into context. Is That's grown rapidly for us since launch in 2009. Like, you go back to 2017 and we were barely kissing like 250. So you're, you're seeing some gradual growth over time there. You're seeing share shift in how that's consumed, right? So it used to be desktop in the beginning for us and then circa 13, 14, 15, heavy, heavy expansion into mobile. Mm -hmm. And most recently this sort of share shift into consumption via CTV. We're now it's making up like 30% of all our views in the US, right? So that's, that's gaining a lot of steam from just like a music perspective, I'd say during that time. I wouldn't, you know, go to great lengths to say uh, the format itself has changed. You know, you still have a three-minute, forty-five-second video in most instances that can live on all these screens. Yeah. You haven't seen the advent of a lot of AR, VR stuff like that in it yet. But what you have seen, you know, from a chart perspective and from the makeup of sort of the top one hundred of any given time, is it's become much more global over time. You have a lot more um, Latin influence that is, you know, very present in our charts over time. But you still have a lot of these artists who are racking up 2.5 to 3.5 billion views a year across their content. Uh, you know, Jay Balvin being a huge example of being the top, you know, artist on our platform last year. And there's huge appeal in the U.S. and there's huge appeal, you know, all over other territories as well um, that we both promote and we sell into commercially. Right. Every, every time you mention an artist, I'm just going to nod and be like, yes, totally. Even if I have no idea what you're talking <laughs> about. Um, but so on that note, maybe I don't know if we can break this down more. If this, tell me if this question makes sense. How much of your, how much of your growth is international expansion and these global acts that just take off and you're popping in Brazil or Japan or something versus acts that are crossing over into the U.S. and everywhere, everywhere else? Are both things happening or, or, or what, what does that dynamic look like? I think both both things are happening. Um, I, one area of, the, of concentration specifically in the U.S. is the composition of the pop chart has also changed that, you know, black music, traditional rap, hip hop, R&B has also heavily taken over the U.S. specific charts in the last few years. So there's been a huge jump in consumption there that has gone hand in hand with um, this Latin explosion that we've seen along with, you know, traditional pop powerhouses like Ariana Grande still being very present, Justin Bieber still being very present, Billie Eilish emerging in the last few years. Yep. So it's a, sort of a confluence of, I think, excitement of just music everywhere and music video being a great visual medium for people to get to see the artists more than on some of the DSPs where you hear a song, um, you get served, served it quite a bit in an algorithm. Now you have a chance to connect the face and some of the visual storytelling aspects to those artists. In terms of consumption, what is it? Because you, you mentioned the shift over time of C, to CTV. Are people? I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess that a lot of your YouTube consumption or your mobile mobile consumption was probably a lot of one and done or very search specific. I want to see this video. Maybe you get sucked in and watch more. Is the CTV viewers very different? Do you see yeah, so we used to, 
what did marketers used to say about the snackable bus stop content for mobile, right? Like what yeah. you said, one and done. Uh, in a CT, CTV environment, it's it's much more of a lean back experience and you're looking at upwards of 30 to 40 minutes of viewing sessions. Wow. So you're, you're serving six to seven videos. That also allows us, you know, when we're packaging that to an advertiser to sell that like much more traditional primetime broadcast TV because you're looking at giant artists that command huge audiences and you're keeping people in their seats much longer to, to, to view the content. And when is that happening? Is it, is there a prime time? Is it kind of all over the place? It's, it's all over the place over the course of the week. We definitely peak when you get into Thursday night, Friday night timing. So as you're heading towards the weekend, we see, we like, see a like huge people putting that up because they're having people, well, when people had friends over and parties, like, is that, is that part of the usage or? There's definitely a, a percentage of that, but then you have to also look at sort of the, the way the titles release, right? Like if we do right. say 40 music videos across all genres from like the poppiest pop to, you know, heavy, heavy metal, new, new albums often, you know, are coming on new music releases on Fridays. So lots of artists are dropping videos Thursday nights instead right. of Friday mornings on the weekend. So is it chicken egg? Like there's a lot of stuff that's that's new and popular coming out during that period of time. But there's also this, you know, social behavior around it that you're sort of quoting that, you know, makes sense to also look at from a collective viewing experience and co-viewing that we see a lot of in the CTV environment as well. Um, I have a question written down that says, who who is the Vivo viewer? I wonder if you can answer that question because it, it's probably... It's probably very different on platform, time of day, genre. Like, is is I'm going to assume Vivo is particularly or skews young. Is it is it, is it skew Hispanic, Latin America, uh, African American? Is is there is there can can you boil it down or you could we could we could cut it a couple different ways. And I guess at its most um, on the most general level, it's a Vivo viewer, someone who loves music, popular culture, and entertainment. And right now in the U.S., that's we're reaching half the U.S. population, wow. so to to give one demo versus another, sort of. But as we start to uh, start to break that down across all screens, uh, we're seeing close to a billion daily views globally. Um, like I mentioned, peak on the weekends. Uh, specific to the audience, um, seventy nine percent of our audience watches with at least one other person when we're talking about connected television. So there's a lot of co viewing going on. Um, that half the U.S. population gives us, you know, around 150 million viewers in the U.S. That scales up to 225, 240 for the rest of the world. So that continues to get larger and larger. Um, two thirds of our viewers sit in an 18 to 49 demo. So that's not, you know, a little bit broader, not like an 18 yep. to 24. But and half of this group does not subscribe to cable TV. Interestingly, so lots of cord cutters mm -hmm. in that mix. Um, but yeah, there's a. It's such a large audience that's trying to specify it into one group just kind of doesn't play because we represent so much, so many different genres, so many different types of music, and so many different, right. um, you know, even in our catalog going back to 70s, 80s, we have 70s and 80s channels on Pluto TV that we specifically program for. So it's kind of, we have everything, we have something for every advertiser and every, you know, potential fan. It's interesting, you mentioned Pluto TV. I was going to ask you about this because. There was a, there was a, I believe you had, you had a product product called Vivo TV. Uh, I want to say that was like eight years ago or something. I remember covering it at South by Southwest. I, I don't know. I think it went away eventually, but it, it was, it was a linear fee or it was a programmed feed of Vivo, right? Where you didn't have to do anything. And yeah, I wonder if that was, I, I wonder if that feels like it was ahead of, ahead of its time because you're seeing the Plutos of the world do that. And people seem to, to want that at, at, at certain occasions. What do you, what do you think of that experience? Yeah, having having lived in in the weeds of that on the daily programming <laughs> back when you covered it back in South by Southwest, 
definitely now feels like it was ahead of its time. We sunset it in late 17, early 2018. And it was specific at that point in time. You know, we were a web and uh, mobile experience only. This is prior to the growth of CTV right. in the past several years. And at that time, just to continue to operate it uh, with our own un- owned and operated products in the territories that we were existing in, just it wasn't feasible to continue it at that point in time. We pivoted at that point literally to we kept up our apps on connected television and we started forming new partnerships and then we saw this explosive growth. So yeah, saying it was fairly accurate. We're creating similar experiences, but doing it with um, in completely different ways than we were previously. We have more channels. We have more genre specific programming now, and we're going to continue to build out custom and artist based programming as we go across the rest of the year. Cause there is, there is something to that idea. I, I was, I was very dismissive of this. That when, oh, when streaming hit, everything's going to be on demand. No one, but no one's going to want that, but you're seeing some resilience, or so, there's there is a, a viewing habit where you just throw something on. You want to have it and not think about it at, at different occasions in your life. I can see that working for playlists and things like that over time, but I, but I don't know. Yeah, and we're able to, you know, obviously we have years of experience creating hundreds of playlists that get, you know, hundreds of millions to billions of views on YouTube. You can look similar in a linear fashion, right, to saying we've already created this string together. How can we adapt this or how can this make sense when we're day part programming it in right. a linear environment? So that's all the stuff that we're currently working on right now and how to make that experience more and more customizable and unique to each user as we go across the year vis-a-vis creating products that help filter down our catalog into certain ways, cut it based on different performance metrics, and then sort of dynamically serve it. That's stuff that we're really interested in as we you know hit the back half of uh, 2021 to 2022. Speaking of that, I'm, I eventually will stop asking people this question, but it, but um, I, it's still very interesting to me now. Like, we're kind of coming out of this, hopefully, this pandemic, and people are going out now. New York State, everything's opening up. This is game California. What, what, um, give us the what? What kind of patterns did you guys see? I'm assuming more, more viewership, or during the especially quarantines and lockdowns. What did you see in terms of listening patterns? Maybe genres that popped, and then what's what do you think is going to happen next? If you can predict. The CTV story, now sounding like a broken record, some reference right. so many times, was the big story. Not surprisingly, because it takes place specifically in the living room during the quarantine period. But that rose for our share shift of viewership again, thirty percent year over year last year. Right, it's now thirty this year. So it's 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 growing. It's big. It'll it will be interesting to see um, if mobile makes any sort of comeback. Given people are leaving home again, we haven't seen anything. So, so mobile just didn't grow that much, or just or it actually dipped. See, 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 Literally, we were share shifting. We we, yeah. were, we were fairly steady to small growth, right, for overall viewership. And I think you can attribute that to the fact that people are home. They're obviously, they continue to consume music, but they were also consuming it against every single other vertical, right? right so right. If, you're, if you're binge watching, it's literally, it's it's not a competition music for music. It's a competition for time. Should I watch uh, Breaking Bad or a bunch of Eminem videos? Exactly. That's a really, that's a really weird uh, <laughs> grouping, but you get the point. <laughs> However you want to break it down. But yeah, yeah and we, 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 do, we do sort of a similar level of how we try to optimize within YouTube because we've said this, you know, in the press in the past, and it's, it, it's, it's certainly no, no, no more different now than it was a year ago. Music videos compete against everything else on YouTube right? Be it sports clips, late night television clips. So we have to do our best, you know, as sort of arbiters and protectors of the medium to make sure that they get their fair share within the suggested video algorithm, everything that we're doing to optimize different artists' channels, making sure that they have, they're getting the most fair share of what the premium content they're allowing us to sort of distribute and promote for them on that platform deserves. Right. Um, okay. You're, you're the content and programming person. 
over time, I know, I believe there's been different times you've had different new fronts where you've announced programming slates, strategies, probably like everybody's it's changed and evolved over time. And I think there was a question whether you guys wanted to do or did originals make sense for Vivo? Is it just going to be a music video thing? And that's fine. Um, if you could like take me through what, how that's coming, gone up and down maybe and where things are looking now in terms of original programming, what you guys want to do or accomplish. Yeah. Very similar time period to when, you know, we're referencing this, you know, 2018 and we get viewership growth. We, we sunset Vivo TV at the time and we, we start to shift to connected television. Um, we made some very specific changes to our original programming slate annually. First thing sort of, and this was right around the time period in which I kind of took over as head of the department. We moved away from high cost tentpole events that were just draining budget and putting all of our potential opportunities to work with many artists into a couple, let's call it half a dozen to a dozen a year. And we opened three studios uh, one in Manhattan, one in Dumbo, and one which is now in Hackney Wick in London, so that we could tape as many artists as possible in a given year. We didn't make them specific to branded entertainment. We made them specific to things we thought artists needed. So we do a lot of live performance for tracks that artists might not necessarily get a music video for. We have um, some predefined emerging artist programs that have gained a lot of steam over the years, be it Discover and Lift, where artists sort of have seen the artists that come before it, want to be part of the program, get the marketing slate, get the original programming around it. Most recently, Olivia Rodrigo, one of the hugest artists on the planet right now, took place in the program. Others like Billie Eilish and Halsey came out of it. And then for the largest scale artists, we have a series called... Um, a, a, a official, it's a sort of official performance series that we released with Ariana Grande today, our first performance of her track POV. And it really allows them to get creative and custom into, you know, like I mentioned earlier, label is going to essentially commission three to four music videos for you based on what they're going to be marketing as a single. You're probably going to have several that you want reimagined that can then help boost your channel, help boost your presence overall, help boost your chart position. And we'll go out and we'll full creative treatment and we'll shoot it for them. We'll produce it for them. A package of four to six songs. We still do interview, some interview based content, some mini doc content, some music video ancillary content, but largely we've moved to trying to cover as many artists as possible in a given year. In the past three years on average, we're and this is inclu inclusive of last year because we adapted a lot to stay at home type shooting and stuff like that. Um, 300 plus artists a year, 700 pieces plus of original content. And the knock-on effect of not specifically creating it for the advertiser community is the numbers have shot up and it's become more appealing to go then sponsor and rap as an advertiser mm -hmm. because it commands a large audience and we sort of created it organically for the brand itself. But in the okay, let me let me make sure I understand the what the the nature of the the program you're describing. I'm, my mind is going towards like instead of the highly produced big music video, this like MTV unplugged. Is it is that a good anal uh, analogy? These are this what what I would describe as um, live music videos. So a lot of them we do with like one shot, one take, where it follows the artist around an environment that we've created in the four wall scene. We t we shoot basically nothing in a space that my team doesn't have to fully create. <laughs> Which so we're literally creating a custom environment every single time, um, and it's attracted incredible talent over the course of the past twelve two years. Sorry, excuse me. Um, recently, it's Justin Bieber. Today, it's Ariana Grande. We've shot with Jay Balvin. We've shot with The Weeknd. We've shot with Billy Billy Eilish, Miley Cyrus. So the portfolio keeps growing. One artist sees another do it. They love the way it, the look and feel. It's just a different experience than a typical music video shoot. It's not scripted. There's no narrative behind it. It's just sort of 
an artist performing in some sort of gorgeous environment where they're performing live, but it does sort of look and track like it's a music video. But do they, do they not have to make a music video for that particular song after that? So in, in a lot of instances, we're doing it with tracks where we know they're not going to be right. doing a song for okay. that. In certain ones, they want to do just a different version of what they have already. And what we've seen is this has actually shifted, you know, specific to YouTube over time. Duplication of title with different versions no longer sort of cannibalizes each other. It actually just feeds the algorithm more now. Right. That might not have been the case circa 2015, 2016, but that's shifted over time. So you want more of the same title if you can, especially if it's high quality and you're getting a lot of fan attraction to it. Um, over certain periods of time, there is some decay in support of certain titles by the out the different factors that influence the algorithm. So you're kind of reinvigorating that title again as you upload and you gives it some new life a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Interesting. And then and that's an opportunity that so that what what can brands do like you mentioned brands can sponsor that or they can get involved in some branding content. I I guess how often how much of your business is driven by brands you you trying to bring brands closer to artists in some fashion based on your your unique access versus running classic, classic kind of digital advertising. Yeah, the, the very different than from, from a sales strategy perspective from where we were, call it six or seven years ago. Mm -hmm. um, br brands are coming in to buy, you know, audience and, and the specific screen that they're viewing it in with us at this point in time. That cuts many different ways. We do multicultural sales, we do programmatic sales and everything in between, but we're really not creating original content specific for brands. If they like what we've created with the artists that we're creating, it's, it's accessible to them. They can have 100% share of voice around that content. Um, and they do buy quite a bit of it now, especially if you're talking about top tier talent. Um, what we sell quite a bit of is things like our premiere packages uh, with new music video premieres that comes with an entire artist catalog, uh, like stuff that we'll call moments media, things that you know are very specific to that pop cultural moment yep. you know, across our editorial calendars. So X artist has a birthday coming up, has an anniversary, um, you know, songs of summer based stuff where they're buying lots of playlists from us. So it, it sort of sits in that realm. And very specifically now, what we're seeing is people wanting to buy it in that realm specific to a connected television screen where that's going to represent a larger and larger chunk of our overall revenue pie. Um, you know, it'll soon be, I think, you know, close to, especially in the U S like 50% just buying specific to that screen of the overall revenue that we're generating. Interesting. So I, I was going to ask you, I know you're not the ad sales guy necessarily, but you cover a lot of, a lot of every aspect of the company. What I was, you mentioned like you're, what you're a multicultural or you're in CTV, like what market are you in? If you are in one, because you know your your audience numbers can make you you could have a very le legitimate case to sell against television, right? And then and especially the television consumption, but it, but I'm sure the, there are yeah, like you mentioned, there's music special music budgets for you know particular events. You've got the multicultural thing. You probably get some digital video money. Like where where do you guys sit, and where do you think that's going in terms of like the marketplace? Yeah, so very specifically, uh, move to this, you know upfront sort of calendar that we're, you know, always have been participating in the new fronts, but we do a huge portion of our business in the upfront business with the major holding groups at this point. Um, so obviously that represents. So like, there's a, sorry to interrupt you, like there was a time when there would be new fronts, right? And they were like kind of like the upfronts and then nothing would, not much would happen. Like you really participate in that market. Yes. It, it's, it's, it's a mass majority of our business. 
um, with six of the major holding groups now. We do that on the traditional upfront calendar and we're positioned squarely against, you know, primetime TV, for example, for how we're selling. Um, and that's only going to continue to increase from a business perspective at, with, as CTV continues to grow. Um, but yeah, that's been a fundamental shift. We used to do quite a lot of sc- called scatter market, right? In that period of time, um, when people are sort of buying in late into quarters, a lot of the money will will sit with us in advance now, and it'll be actualized through different brands in that agency's portfolio over the course of the year. Right, because you don't you you don't have like a never ending supply of. I mean, your your audience is growing. It's not like you're you can just. Uh manufacture views like you've got a set, only x amount of of ad slots for certain big artists i'm guessing there's there's ways that you can continue to it's look there's several factors it's release calendar driven but you know we're doing you know mm-hmm. the numbers that we're doing we, we we have certain things where we've approached sell out and we have sold out like in q4 of last year we sold out connected tv so that continues to put a higher premium on that product but then you begin to look for additional distribution footprints, right? And where can we continue to grow? Because we know the demand is there. We know a high CPM is there. Advertisers want it. Um, and it definitely sounds like I am speaking as the salesperson now instead yeah. of the content programming marketing person. But we, we see that demand actually. And, and for us, that's that's a great thing because we're continuing to create value for our shareholders and for the artists that deliver content to us. Right. On, on that note, because I, I don't know if you saw last week, there was a really interesting uh, announcement about Nielsen measuring streaming way more. And the people were kind of, some people were shocked by, oh, Netflix doesn't look as big as I thought because linear TV is so big. But I don't, I don't think the analysis necessarily captures the entirety of CTV or the streaming world. Um, so my question is, how much of that is a battle in your life if it is one? Like, how do we measure ourselves properly against big guys in TV? How do we get the ad community to look at everybody on the same, uh, look at video in the same playing field, not just, you know, streaming on, on TVs or not, or, or mobile or the comp- the compartmentalization that happens. It doesn't probably help things. Yeah. I don't know that we've had, you know, any similar measurement issues that some of these other companies have faced recently in the past few years, just because of the Nielsen and DAR based activity that we've done over the years. Like there's just been a lot of work that's gone into this from like a research capacity to show the numbers. Part of it, you know, you're right. Like, Law of large numbers. At a certain point in time, someone's going to look at you and say, "I don't even know how to how to qualify how big that number is. Like, what does three hundred billion even mean?" Right, right, right. And that's when you begin to to break it down into demo, into demographics, into geo, and all that sort of stuff to show them specifically how you lead each market. We do it, you know, as far as local goes in the U.S. down to zip code targeting, down to cities. So we we, we can do all those breakdowns as well, um, and really try to put into context for whatever the advertiser is looking for. Because I want to um, say you were, do, you were doing that during the campaigns last year, if I'm not mistaken, right? There, there was some activity around uh, political. We did see spend from political last year during the election cycle, for sure. Right. Interesting. Um, what happens with, how? I, I guess, I, let me phrase this another way. Does it matter for you that all that's going on right now with, you know, the, the, the identity conversation that we're having and, and first party data and your, your services, you know, you, ha- you probably have a, a a sizable amount of logged in users, but you're not purely subscription. Some people come in and out, but you're probably, you're talking about CPMs being high. Like how much does this matter to you that all, all this debate over what's going on with cookies and IDFA and all that stuff? It's, it's truthfully not something that comes up in, in my life. Right. <laughs> At Vivo so, so much. So I, I don't have um, a ton of insight into that, you know, and it's not something that we do to, 
retarget programming or anything in the in the environments in which my teams are programming stuff. So it's it's certainly come up a, a lot less in, in my daily life. Um, it's it's something that you know I'm sure you could uh, speak to Kevin McGurn about right, at some right. point. He's probably a field expert in, in that. Area. Right, right. Well, and how how much does data and I'm I'm assuming that data informs your programming strategy. Yeah. But how do you guys use it besides just like this this thing pops? Let's make more of it. How do you guys use maybe data to anticipate you know, where, where, where you need to lean into in terms of artists or programming or regions? Yeah, we've we've had a number of products over the years that aren't very like user specific, but just volume consumption specific, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, ge- geolocation, stuff like that helps. But um, it's beginning to see how all the factors sort of work together for an artist, both on and off our platform before we choose to make big bets on them. Like I could give you an example from, and there's some real life aspects to it too, but you know, go back to 2014 before anyone, you know, on planet Earth knew who Halsey was. And you could see certain trends of just certain percentage gains week over week in different areas across different demos in the U.S. for for YouTube consumption. But where you could really also see it was, you know, across, you know, social pickup week over week. And then you start mm-hmm. to sort of uh, triangulate the arrows together. And then you go out to a show and you see... 600 girls screaming at the top of their lungs for knowing every single word to the song before the rest of the music community hadn't even heard this name before. And you're like, you think there might be something there. So there is, there is some art and science to it. You do still have to be, I think in, in certain instances out in the real world. Um, it's, it's been an interesting couple of years with this sort of stuff and, and sort of where we think we fit in, especially in the emerging artist game. Like you can look at, you know, Spotify and Apple and other DSPs that I was sort of referencing earlier and a song out of nowhere can sort of raise its hand and say it suddenly has 250 million plays, but an artist might not be able to sell a ticket to a show. And you have to begin to look at how do you develop them visually and connect them to their fans because this algorithm might have taken off and made this song huge, but no but one what knows the, the, but the, the larger artist, story. Don't know who the artist is or anything about it, that it, Exactly. And it's, 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 it's happened on multiple occasions. I won't go into specific names, but where it's like, well, what's the plan beyond uh, just this one song for this artist. How do we really connect them to the fans? How do we get people to care? Because there's a lot of new music and there's competition with other verticals and there's competition with the music itself. Right. You can almost, you could be the one hit wonder, wonder that no one remembers fast if you don't have some kind of connection. Yeah. Can, can you, can you tell us your other song of the summer at this point? Are we, are we, are, we, are you ready to make a call? So it's only, we're talking June 22nd, I think. I think, you know, for the song itself, I'll just say there's there's probably going to be a competition among several artists. Um, in my view, you're going to see a lot of competition between, and it's weird to think they're kind of the same label family, but Olivia Rodrigo and Billie Eilish. Okay. Um, sort of always been undeniable. I think there's some other stuff that I'm not sure how announced it is that can sort of raise its hand in the Latin community and potentially from a chart perspective overtake that in the late summer. But I don't have notes in front of me to tell me if I can share those names. <laughs> I'm just all right. I won't know them anyway. So that's, that's right. <laughs> um, let, let's wrap on this. You know, we're like I mentioned, we said earlier that the world is coming back open. Live music's coming back. What do you, what's, what's, how do you guys capture that moment? If you, if you can, what do, what do you think is next that people, what you, you want to leave people with in terms of like the next, the, the back half of the year, what's exciting for you with Vivo or, what's, or how are you going to try and cover this reawakening in the, in the music world and beyond? I think we're going to be most excited to have, this is just from my perspective, right? Have all of our studios opened again and regularly fully functioning. We've kept them open. We've had people come 
We've had people tape frequently over the course of the last six months, but it's not been the, the regularity of five days a week, someone in every day, creating an exciting moment with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and with levels of comfort and easing of travel restrictions opening back up, I think you're going to see a lot more of that. I think you're just going to see music fans just so excited. Like you had mentioned before we, we hopped on this, that you had uh, been out you know, to a show and, and, and over to MSG, right? Yeah, like, I went to the Foo Fighters last night with my wife. and It's amazing. And I think you're going to see so much, so much live music this summer that's just going to help when people... People leave that experience boon our viewership numbers in certain aspects yeah i mean i'm like, gonna scream i'm gonna look at some of this stuff later and i'm sure that's gonna happen all, all the when when live returns you're gonna see all these different spikes happen which is gonna be fascinating you're gonna see mid, mid-august through halloween essentially this year there's basically a festival somewhere in the world like every single weekend because everything got pushed this time right. period so there's gonna be so many artists performing so frequently I think it's just going to be a wild time for music, this reopening, and, and what better way to celebrate them with music? And then, of course, after you've gone and, and, and seen what you've seen live coming to Washington on Vivo, I had to throw that in there. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but um, no, I think it's it's a really, really exciting time for music. I think there's probably more artists than it, more artists than ever before looking to be developing, get their music out there. They've lost a way to do that outside of more um, digital means like us and others to provide them in the last year a way to do that and to get out there, get back on the road, play their music and and get some get some eyeballs in real life will be huge for them and we'll be there to support them on the back end with everything that we do. Sounds good to me. It's a, it's a, it's a nice hopeful uh, note to end out with. JP, thanks. Thanks again, Mike. A big thanks to my guest this week, JP Evangelista, Senior Vice President of Content Programming and Marketing at Vivo, and of course, my partners at AppsFlyer. If you like this episode, please take a moment to rate and leave a review. We have lots more to bring you, so be sure to hit the subscribe button. We'll see you next time for more on what's next in marketing.